a good move. Why'd you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, we talked about every Season 2 episode. So today, we are doing our Season 2 retrospective and just kind of wrapping up the season as a whole. I'll give you uh, some lists, like some of my favorite episodes from the season, my favorite villains, and we'll talk about the influence of the season on the show as a whole, kind of what happened in the season that uh, we, we can expect to see going forward. And also, we will be wrapping up 2003, because that is the year that Season 2 premiered during, so we'll be going over the top films that year, the top music, the top games, and then I'll be throwing in some of my favorites as well. Before we go on, I want to let you know that over on my YouTube channel, I ranked all of the Season 2 episodes, and I did that in conjunction with my Season 1 rankings. So we, we start from where I left off with my Season 1 ranking, and then I add the Season 2 episodes to it. So check the link in the show notes if you'd like to see that. A little bit confusing here, but I have two YouTube channels for the podcast. Uh, the original one that I used to upload the podcast episodes to, and then I went and made another one that's meant for video content specifically. So going forward, all of my rankings will be on this new channel, so check that link in the show notes. Of course, if you are subscribed to the, to the original one, you won't see this new video. So again, link in the show notes, you'll, you'll kind of see my thoughts just kind of wrapped up on all of these season two episodes ranking it and having a good time there. So, hey, let's move on and uh, let's talk about season two as a whole. And more specifically, let's talk about what was going on in 2003. All right, so I've got the top four grossing films in the United States, of course, from 2003 I'm excited to get into these a little bit. Now, we've talked about most, if not all, of these on the podcast, so I'm just going to touch on them kind of lightly. Plus, I'm sure you know what these movies are. So, coming in at number four, we have The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, grossing over $249 million this year. And I'm kind of surprised to see this one so low, but then when I look at the ones that are above it, it's not as surprising. But yeah, this is Lord of the Rings wrapping up here. Of course, anybody who was around in the early 2000s knows how huge these films were. And this is it being put to bed. I mean, what what a crazy three years where every year we got a new Lord of the Rings movie. Now, I've said many times in the podcast, I am not really a fan of these films. Uh, namely, I can't get past the first one. I, I don't find it particularly engaging for whatever reason. Uh, I'm not saying that proudly. I wish that was not the case. But uh, still, I mean, to try and deny the impact of The Lord of the Rings is is ridiculous. Again, this one has a 9 out of 10 on IMDb, which is an absolutely insane score for a film this big. So, um, you know, I'm just the odd man out here, I suppose, unfortunately. Hopefully one day that'll change and I'll come to appreciate these films. I'm looking at the trivia on IMDb for this one. It says, To get enough extras for the battle at the Black Gate, a few hundred members of the New Zealand army were brought in. They apparently were so enthusiastic during the battle scenes that they kept breaking the wooden swords and spears they were given. So, uh, always interesting to learn about the production on films this large. Like, what they had to do, some of the workarounds they had to go with. And we've talked about that on the podcast in previous in previous seasons too yeah this one here we can see they had to bring in some people from the army to get enough extras for this which is nuts you know i mean these days it'd probably just be cgi you'd think but uh that's not what they were relying on here of course there was a lot of cgi in these films but they had the budgets to where they didn't have to lean completely on it like a lot of films do these days so, all right, let's move on to our number three film. And coming in third for the year of 2003, we have The Matrix Reloaded. This one grossing over $281 million, so over $30 million more than Lord of the Rings. And yeah, not surprising. The Matrix, of course, very big at the time as well. Although, I don't feel like The Matrix has as much of a fan base as Lord of the Rings does. Maybe that's because Lord of the Rings, they have, you know, books. They're, they're based on books, the films are. And then there's also other films, there's other kind of content in that in that fandom that they have to enjoy. While The Matrix, there are some other things 
but I, I guess there's probably just not as much because, yeah, you, you never really see like, oh, I'm a huge Matrix fan. I love the Matrix. But you, you, you will find that with Lord of the Rings. But again, I guess that's because Lord of the Rings is based on a, a, a series of successful novels. So, uh, yeah, Matrix. I have seen the Matrix Reloaded. I know that the second and third Matrix films weren't as well received as the first, and I understand why. But seeing them... Uh, I liked them well enough. Like I thought the 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 next two were pretty decent, and and they were worth watching at least once. Uh, of course, the first is much better. And I remember seeing the first when it came out. What was that like ninety nine or something? I did not see these sequels until much later. But yeah, I've seen Reloaded and liked it. I still haven't checked out the uh, the new one they just put out. What's it called here? Um, yeah, Resurrections. I came out in twenty twenty one. I still haven't caught that yet. But the reviews on it are pretty dog shit, so it's like, I'm not completely enticed to want to check that one out. But yeah, Matrix, I mean, again, uh, great films, and I understand why it placed as highly as it did, even though Lord of the Rings has uh, more staying power. And of course, with Lord of the Rings, they eventually did make the Hobbit films, and those are much more well-received than this new Matrix film. So Lord of the Rings, they they've got the last laugh at the end. So moving on to our number two spot here, we have Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. This one bringing in over $305 million. And this one I did see when it came out. I remember, I don't know if I told this on the podcast or not. I remember I was at my cousin's house and I really wanted to go. And my aunt said, if we if we did our chores at, at her house, that, that she would take us. And I was like really, really, really nervous about not being able to go see it. I really wanted to see it. And uh, yeah, we got to see it and I liked it well enough. I don't know that I ever saw the other ones. I think I saw the second one, but that's about it. But this first one, uh, it's a good time. You got John Depp in it looking good. Uh, Orlando Bloom, Kiera Knightley, all sorts of big people in this film. And uh, I liked it well enough. Of course, that is Walt Disney Studios. And that will bring us to our number one film of 2003, also by Walt Disney Studios. This film, a little flick called Finding Nemo, and this one brought in over $339 million. I'm, uh, a part of me is surprised to see Finding Nemo here as the top-grossing film of 2003, but then another part of me isn't, because growing up as a kid, I remember as soon as this came to DVD, like I saw this so many times in school. You know, it's the end of the year, teacher doesn't want to do anything, they just throw on Finding Nemo and, and you'd watch that. It's like, you know, the last week of school or whatever. So I've seen this film so many times and I liked it a lot as a kid. I don't remember if I saw it in theaters or not, but I, I'm sure this one still holds up. It's been a while since I've seen it. I I, I never saw Finding Dory, like the uh, the sequel, I think, to it or, or whatever the case is with that one. But yeah, I mean, Finding Nemo, uh, a little bit surprising here, but also at the same time, not very surprising. So let me give you my three favorite films from 2003 at the time, because growing up, I, I, I watched a decent amount of movies like as they came out. And uh, let me give you my top three really quickly. So in our third spot, I just put Finding Nemo because like they're like I couldn't really find anything else that I probably liked more than this film at the time. Uh, yeah, just a just a good film overall. And uh, again, it's the top grossing film of 2003. So that's not a very controversial thing to say. And then in our second spot here, I talked about this on the podcast, but we have Scary Movie 3. I remember just loving this movie so much back at, back in the day because these movies are kind of edgy. So when I would see them, I you know, I felt like a bad boy watching these naughty movies, but they're just very very funny. And unfortunately, I still haven't caught Scary Movie 3 yet. I remember I talked about this on the podcast, then Speed Beats reached out and said that it still holds up and I, I need to check it out because I saw four recently and it was not funny, but I never, I never saw four back in the day, but, but yeah, three, I have fond memories of, and I need to watch it again soon. And then my number one spot is Dumb and Dumberer, the prequel to Dumb and Dumber, which I remember I, I bought it at GameStop back in the day and uh, just watched the hell out of it on my portable DVD player over and over again. And I can't recall if I've tried to watch this since, but I need to. I, I, again, I'm sure it doesn't hold up. I'm sure it sucks, but I just, I love this movie as a kid so much. So yeah, that's that's my top three. I don't want to dwell on them because we have talked about these on the podcast. Uh, Finding Nemo, Scary Movie 3, and Dumb and Dumberer would be my top three. And and uh, I have to say though, since then, uh, my favorite movie of all time is The Room, which came out in 2003. Uh, and of course, I have I didn't see it in 2003. I was much too young for it. I didn't see it till like 2010, 2011. 
Uh, but yeah, since then it became my favorite film. I just have so many fond memories of of seeing it so many times at friends' houses in the movie theater. Um, you know, with with Tommy Wiseau and and Greg Sestero, and just just reading the book about it and everything. So just my favorite movie ever came out in 2003. Just like my favorite season of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. So on that note, let's move on and give a sweet little listen to some music here. Let's listen to our number three top-selling album of 2003. Watching you turn your back like you always do. Face away and pretend that I'm not. But I'll be here because you're all that I got. I can't face the way I did before. Don't turn your back on me. I won't be ignored. Time won't this damage anymore. Don't turn your back on me. I won't be Holy shit, man. That is Linkin Park with their 2003 album Meteora, our third top selling album of the year. And there's a little asterisk after this because obviously whichever source you go to for this, the list is a little bit different. So I am going off of bestsellingalbums.org and it seems like they are only doing albums actually released in 2003, which I'm actually more of a fan of, of doing it that way because otherwise... For example, Nora Jones had a high-selling album, but her album came out in 2002. Christina Aguilera had a, had a high-selling album, but that came out in 2002 as well. But also, I went with this website because I like this lineup more that they gave me. There's more to talk about here for me rather than like Christina Aguilera, which her album I did not recognize a single song off of, which is probably kind of crazy. But yeah, so we have Linkin Park's Meteora. I was a huge fan of Linkin Park at the time, and I assume I found them from my cousins who were a bit older than I was. And so I really liked Hybrid Theory when that came out in like 2000, 2001, something like that. And then, yeah, Meteora 2003. And I always liked this record a lot. And it's kind of crazy to me that a song like this or an album like this could sell so well back then and, and how much the, the music landscape has changed in a way. But I guess, you know, with, with streaming now, with, with digital music being so accessible, uh, music like the charts for music doesn't really matter anymore because you just listen to whatever you want, whenever you want to. But yeah, Linkin Park, this being their last really great album, I think. Like, their first two albums were very electronic-y, but also rocky and, and rappy and all that stuff. And I think as they went on, it kind of kind of changed. And I kind of fell off with them after this. This is the last album of theirs I really cared about, and probably the last one that I even listened to all the way through. But I'm just surprised by how, uh, how much production work went into this record, and it sounds... Like, I, I like how they borrow some uh, IDM elements, some some intelligent dance music elements with all sorts of like little little chops and glitches in the sound and stuff that are very intentional. It's just really cool. And and yeah, Linkin Park, I mean, uh, I, I, I could go on about them forever. I, I know that uh, if somebody's like a real metal head, then they're not going to be as into it. But but they just hold such a special place in my heart of loving them as a kid. And and uh, I, I can hear in their melodies and stuff how much they kind of influenced uh, my own stuff songwriting going forward unintentionally of course but okay that's enough about meteora that's enough about lincoln park let's move on and check out our second highest selling album of 2003 Bottle full of bub, look mommy, I got the eggs Sitting in the taking drugs I'm in the having sex, I ain't in the making love So come give me a hug, you're in the getting rough You can find me in the club Bottle full of bub, look mommy, I got the eggs if 50 Cent don't got you moving and grooving Call the doctor right now, there's something wrong with you Because I cannot listen to this without getting a little jig on Because this is such a catchy song And the album, of course, is 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Tryin', which two years later, uh, a, a film was released with 50 Cent under the same name. And this is 50 Cent's debut album. And something I found interesting is apparently it was recorded between 1999 to 2003. So they were working on this one for a while. This one was really in the oven for a long time. But I guess that's how much time it needed, man, because second highest selling album of uh, this year. And it's not really a surprise because I, you know, obviously on the podcast, we are going through week by week for certain periods of time throughout the year. And this album, like songs from it were just all over the place. So no surprise to me. This album still holds up well, is my understanding. Uh, I, I can't claim to have heard the whole thing. I can't claim to even know that many 50 Cent songs, but I definitely know Into Club 
And uh, I'm sure there's a few other on this record that I liked, but I'm surprised kind of by the mixing on this one. I'm surprised how how upfront and dry Fiddy's voice is uh, and just how loud it is too. But I mean, uh, it works, right? It worked. What, what, what more could they want? But yeah, I mean, when I see this album cover, you got 50 Cent standing there looking serious with uh, like there's supposed to be glass in front of him because the glass has like a bullet hole through it. And you see Fiddy's cross behind the uh, broken glass there. And this album to me just screams 2003. It really takes me back to the time when I see this this album cover. It's just, you know, if I were to sum up 2003 in one image, I think I'd use this album cover. So, okay, let, let's check out our top selling album of We have Evanescence with Fallen being our top-selling album this year. And yeah, another record to me that's just so... Uh, I can't think of the word of it. It just screams 2003 to me. I mean, I feel like I saw this record everywhere. I saw this album cover everywhere. It was just singer Amy Lee's face. And uh, I grew up hearing this a lot all over the place. Lots of singles from it. If I'm not mistaken, Evanescence were like a Christian band or something. I don't know if they still are. I know it's happened with a lot of bands where they start off as Christian bands and they kind of drop that whole uh, shtick, I guess. Uh, but uh, Evanescence, it looks like they've released some albums. Like every you know handful of years, they'll put something out. Uh, but you know, when you have a record like this that is just this huge, you don't really have to keep releasing music. So it seems like they kind of just do it whenever they feel like it. And the album seems somewhat well-received since this one. But yeah, I mean, people can hate Evanescence all they want, but I, I do find it interesting how... So uh, uh, between this recording and, and what I said previously, I did go and look at like the best-selling albums of like 2020 and such, and it's just all pop and rap. And my memories of this time were just pop and rap, but when I look at the charts, I'm like, oh yeah, there was a lot of, you know, kind of alternative music that did quite well, you know, with Evanescence, Linkin Park, and you don't really see that anymore, which is, which is interesting. I wonder why that is. Um, but of, uh, of course, I am not sitting here like, oh, man, music was way better back then. I, I don't think that's the case. I think that music uh, is really, really great right now. But it's just kind of interesting to see how, you know, the charts have have reacted. But yeah, I mean, that's Evanescence. Amy Lee, I, I see her pop up from time to time with other acts that I like. She'll do like a, a guest vocal spot and she's got a really great voice. But I, I'm not really familiar with the rest of the Evanescence catalog outside of this record. Uh, which I, you know, I did hear a lot, but the, the other stuff, uh, it's not as important, I guess. But that's it for our top selling albums. Really quickly, let me hit you with my favorite albums from 2003. And I will be giving you my favorite albums now that came out in 2003. Um, as opposed to like the movies, th those were my favorite movies in 2003. Uh, whatever I was listening to then would have been like Linkin Park. And that's kind of, you know, that kind of new metal-y stuff. So let's go and jump into my third favorite album of 2003. My third favorite album from 2003 is Coheed and Cambria's In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. And if you listen to the season one retrospective, I picked their first album, Second Stage Turbine Blade, that came out in 2002. Well, they released another record in 2003. And yeah, it's my third favorite from this year. And I actually would have been listening to this in 2003. My cousin Katie, she had this the, the song I just played you, A Favorite House Atlantic. She really liked that song at the time and would play it a lot. And then she ended up burning uh, me and, and my mom a CD, uh, the, the, this actual CD. And then I would hear it in the car. My mom would play it from time to time. But it wasn't really until like 2006. 
2007, 2008 that I really got into Coheed and Cambria, but I definitely would have been hearing this at the time. It was kind of planting its seeds in my brain to eventually grow up to become a big Coheed and Cambria fan. And yeah, this album, for a long time, it was my favorite Coheed record, but now I, I kind of prefer their first album more. But this one's still just a great record, top to bottom. And there's so many great, like, 10-minute songs on it that, of course, I was trying to find a clip to play for you. And I'm like, oh, I, I like those long songs a lot, but you can't really find a good short clip from them. You have to listen to the whole thing. But yeah, this album is it, it, so much fun. Just just great, uh, you know, rock. It's got some emo elements to it that I like a lot. But also uh, just, you know, poppy in places, but really heavy and, and uh, not as poppy in other places. So Kohe, they're just a really fun band. Again, they are a concept band, so all of their records, except for one record, uh, it all plays into this larger concept. It's like a sci-fi thing, really crazy. You don't really have to know the story, though. Uh, I certainly did not, and I still really don't, and I don't really care like what the story is. I just really like the music and and the lyrics and everything. It just just a great band, a very technically proficient band, and this album uh, definitely one of the album one of the soundtracks to to my high school years when I really got into them. So let's move on to my second favorite album of 2003. Coming in the number two spot, I have Kings of Leon's Youth and Young Manhood. That's right. It's the same band that put out Sex on Fire just five years later, blowing up, you know, their song Use Somebody as well that came out in, I think, I think that album was in 2008. They really just blew up. But here, this is their first record, Youth and Young Manhood. And they were just a, a, a southern band and a really raw sound on this record. Kings of Leon are actually a family band. Uh, three of them are brothers, and then the, the lead guitarist is their cousin. And uh, they were really young when this record came out. I, they were like all in their early 20s, I think like you know, 21, 22. And the youngest was the bass player, Jared. He was only like 17 or something when this record came out. And they, they weren't that big. And I really, really love this record. It's just so stripped down. But the songwriting is just killer. And it's just a, a really fun Southern rock album. I, I've mentioned a lot how growing up, my dad was in a country band. So I like some of those influences. But I, I can't say I listen to much actual country music. But I, I like Southern rock a lot. I like this kind of stuff. It is really, really cool. And I have my mom to thank for getting into Kings of Leon. Because somehow she picked them up around 2008. And at some point, a friend of mine, he gave me his external hard drive and I was able to take a bunch of songs off of it because he just had a ton of music on it. And I'm like, oh, Kings of Leon, you know, mom likes that band. I'll grab that for her. And then I ended up listening to it and I fell in love with them. I really love their first two albums. So this one and then their album that would come out in 2004, Aha Shake Heartbreak, just two of my favorite records. And this one just top to bottom. It's just a good time. Just some some pretty great Southern rock. And yeah, just hard to believe that they you know, eventually became the band that put out Sex on Fire, which I mean, I like that song. I, I like that record. And really, I like basically all their albums, except for maybe one. For a long time, I did not like Kings of Leon's later stuff, but I, I've, I've grown to accept it and I've grown to like it a lot. And their album that came out uh, in 2021, I think, When You See Yourself, that album's really good. I was really impressed by that record. So they're a band that's still going strong, but man, there's nothing like like this first record and their second record. They're just, just so kind of... Uh, raw but also experimental in a way and just really really interesting so let me play you my favorite album of 2003 My favorite album of 2003, hands down, is M83's Dead Cities, Red Seas, and Lost Ghosts. And M83, similar to Kings of Leon, later blew up 
Uh, in 2011, they put out the song Midnight City, which you might be familiar with. But back in 2003, they were a bit more experimental, uh, kind of just doing their own thing. They weren't making 80s throwback pop, which there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I've, I've talked about that stuff before. But here is like, again, with, with Kings of Leon, uh, the first two M83 albums are just hands down my favorite. They were just kind of weird, really interesting. And, it's you know, the guys were so young at the time. They were just kind of messing around and and made just two really fantastic albums. But this this second one here, Dead Cities, Red Seas, and Lost Ghosts, is my favorite. And I should say all three of these albums that I'm talking about here, they are three of my favorite albums of all time. The Coheed album, the Kings of Leon album, and then this album. But yeah, this record, this is the record that showed me what electronic music could be. Up until that point, I, th I think I first heard this in like 2009, 2010. Uh, up until that point, I really just thought that electronic music was dance music. I didn't know it could be used in in these more interesting ways. And, and uh, yeah, this album, literally my jaw dropped when I heard one of the songs off of it because I was just like, you know, what is this? I can't believe that that, you know, electronic music could do something like this. And of course, I would later go on to discover all sorts of electronic music genres. And and it's because of this record that I went on to to, you know, professionally make music, electronic music. Like the only music I've sold professionally has been electronic music. And it's because of this record. So it's always meant so much to me. And just top to bottom, it's an interesting listen. And uh, M83 at this point, uh, their first two records, it was two guys. And then uh, uh, after this one, one of the guys left and then it was just Anthony Gonzalez, and he he went on to continue under M83 as just one guy, really, with, like, collaborators. So the M83 now, it's like, you know, it's not the same as it was, because it's just the one guy, not the two. Because on this record, like, Anthony Gonzalez, who who basically, you know, made Midnight City, he's, like, he, he draws influence from, like, the 80s, and his stuff is usually uh, on the more positive side, while the other guy, Nicholas, he kind of was on like a darker side so he brought some darkness to the music so you have kind of like this happiness but this sadness to the music that was so interesting that was lost once it became a one piece but yeah dead cities red seas and lost ghosts just one of my favorite records of all time a top five record easily and just super important to me check it out also one of my favorite album covers of all time it's like a painting of some people laying in the snow and you don't know like are they just laying there? Are they dead? What's going on? Who knows? But you know what I do know? I know we got some video games to talk about. So let's run through and see what we were playing back in 2003. So I, I'm actually going to say the number three spot here on Wikipedia is Super Mario Advance 4. Super Mario Bros. 3. <laughs> what a title on that one. On the Game Boy Advance. I think it's just Super Mario Bros. 3. They just ported it to the Game Boy Advance. It's now portable. Classic game. I don't really want to pick that one because that's kind of lame that it's just a game that came out a long time ago that they ported. So let's take a step back to the number four spot. We have The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker coming in in the number four spot. So we'll, for all intents and purposes, say that's our number three selling game because it's a new game. Okay, I don't want to talk about old games. So yeah, we have The Wind Waker there selling an ass load i mean as you would expect it's a zelda game that was on the gamecube by the way as i said when we first talked about this game i haven't played it but i'm familiar with it and i look forward to playing it at some point i've played games that came out before this one zelda games and zelda games that came out after it but i haven't played this actual game yet uh, i wonder if they'll bring it to the switch if they bring it to the switch then you know i'll be playing that wind waker in our number two spot we have Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire on the Game Boy Advance. That's just a, a, a megalith. This is just selling, you know, gangbusters in the United States at the time. I remember in, in 2003, I remember everybody having this game basically at my school, myself included. I had Sapphire and I loved it. This being, and I've talked about this before in the last retrospective, because in the last retrospective, um, these games came out in 2002 in Japan. So I kind of included them in my list because I love these games so much. Uh, but now they are out in the U.S., so they're selling, you know, really crazy in the U.S. in 2003 now that they were finally localized. But yeah, I had Sapphire, and this was really the first Pokemon game that I was old enough to understand what I was doing. It, I, I had Pokemon Red when it came out. Um, I had Pokemon Silver when it came out, but I was just so young when I was playing those games. But here, I would have been nine, and my reading comprehension a bit better. I was probably more patient and, and willing to read through the stuff rather than just button mash through so I can run around and find Pokemon, you know? So this is like, 
even though I had been playing Pokemon since 1999 or, or 2000, this was like the first Pokemon game that I really like fully understood and beat and knew what I was doing. So because of that really special place in my heart. But yeah, that is the, the second highest selling game of 2003. And then in our number one spot, get your football ready, get your shoulder pads on your cleats and everything. We're about to play some football here because we have Madden NFL 2004 for the PlayStation 2 was our best-selling game of 2003. And that is no surprise. These sports hunks, you, you'll never see them buy a TV. Normally, they're, they're too busy, you know, pumping some weights, running around outside. But when a new Madden game comes out, they were hut-hut-hiking all the way to the living room to play these games because they just sold incredibly and uh, almost, almost oversold by Pokemon, but not quite. Madden NFL 2004, the highest selling game of 2003. And of course, really quickly, I will give you my top games. And I've already talked about two of these. I don't really have an order for any of these games. In, in the season one retrospective, I talked about Ruby and Sapphire, because again, in Japan, they came out in 2002. And then my other game would be Golden Sun, The Lost Age. But in 2002, the first Golden Sun came out. So I talked about that in, in the original retrospective for season one of Aqua Teen. So neither of those uh, really new territory. Love both those games a lot. The, the difference, though, is Ruby and Sapphire. I played those games when they came out. Uh, Golden Sun, The Lost Age, I did have when it came out, but I didn't. It, th these games were like really text heavy and I did not know what I was doing. So I didn't really get to fully experience this game until like 20... 14 maybe when i was you know about 10 years later i finally got to actually play it but a great game as well and the third game i want to mention here is day of defeat which is a computer game it is uh, a counter it started as a counter-strike mod but it's it's set in world war ii and i played this i think in about 2014 for the first time and i actually haven't played that much of day of defeat at all maybe like five hours total but for whatever reason i cannot explain why for whatever reason I have so many vivid memories of my few play sessions of this game. I just had so much fun. Like the community was small, but really dedicated. It was mostly older people playing and they were all like really nice uh, for the most part, but it was a really fun experience. I don't know why. I just have so many vivid memories of, of playing day of defeat. And I don't know why I didn't play more, but it was, it was really a lot of fun. And honestly, the, like a really fun counter-strike like game. It looked good. I thought, and it played well and just a good time. Uh, I think it was 2014 or maybe 2015. I bought the the Valve complete bundle for $25. I got all of Valve's games and Day of Defeat was in there. And yeah, had a lot of fun with it. So those are my top three games. Uh, Pokemon Sapphire, Golden Sun, The Lost Age and Day of Defeat. So that's it for our pop culture of the time, at least the pop culture that we cover on this podcast. How about we talk about Aqua Teen a little bit? All right, so I should have put this up at the beginning, but I'll just say it now. As you know, from listening to the podcast, I grew up on this season. This was the season I had on DVD. I had the volume two and three box sets and I would watch those over and over and over again. I remember I always wanted the the volume one box set. I always wanted the volume four box set. I never got those until, you know, I started doing this podcast. So thanks to the Moon Masters for helping me buy those for the first time in my life. But yeah, I had these two discs, these two box sets rather, and they comprised season two. So I would watch them on demand, uh, constantly <laughs> i like if i was if i was gonna go to bed i would put in a disc and fall asleep to it and wake up at s some point in the night and i would just hear that that th that menu music looping uh so that's like all kind of burned into my mind e even if i haven't looked at at these menus in a long time uh if i pop them in it just all comes flooding back to me and yeah I i'd just be playing these really any opportunity i had uh, much to, you know, thanks to my mom for, for putting up with it because I know that she was not crazy about this show and she, but she would still let me, you know, put it on even though she, she couldn't understand Meatwad or, or, or whatever. But yeah, I'd always have this season on. So it's just been such a trip covering it on the podcast here. It's, it's, it's kind of cool to be done covering it in a way because I'm excited to move on to episodes I'm not as familiar with. But it's also kind of sad because this is what I was looking forward to the most when I started the podcast was reliving these episodes. And uh, really, first of all, I'm just going to say they hold up. I'm just shocked how much this show holds up because a lot of the things from my childhood really don't. You know, I talked about that with the Dumb and Dumber DVD. I'm like, yeah, it probably sucks now. And uh, some of the music I listened to back then, I'll listen to now. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't really that great. 
But with Aqua Teen, I actually found myself enjoying it more as an adult. You have to realize before I started this podcast, I was rewatching the show a bit and enjoying it. But like I wasn't like a huge Aqua Teen fan. It was my favorite show. But I, you know, I I, ne- I didn't even keep up with the later seasons of it. I never even saw anything past like 2008 before I started this podcast, really. So I was not like super deep in it. And I was just so surprised to see how great it really was. And it's one of the few things from my childhood that that not only held up, but was actually better than I even re- remember it being, quite honestly. So having said all that, you know, my love for this season, it was such a such a blessing to go through and and cover it throughout the past year and to have you along for the ride as well really means a lot because outside of my family this was such a private thing to me I really didn't have anybody to talk about Aqua Teen with so I really appreciate you uh, letting me talk with you about about Aqua Teen and of course a lot of you have reached out to me to tell me your thoughts on the episodes and of course keep it coming if you have any thoughts on on uh, of course anything in 2003 if you want to tell me what you were listening to what you were playing in 2003 or, or, or the things that you like from 2003 please do but also your thoughts on this season please please reach out of course you can you can uh, type to me however you want to on social media or or via email check the show notes for that or send in a voice message and I can play it going forward but yeah having said all that let's jump into I, I prepared two top three lists and let's start off with my top three episodes again I ranked all of these episodes over on the YouTube. Check the link in the show notes for that. But let's listen to, let, let's see what my number three episode of season two of Aqua Teen is. Look, the scaring will resume when I get back to your attic. You live in the attic? He has said that twice already. You're just now getting this? There's a monster in the attic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was driven here by the villagers when I was doing 30 and a 25. And um, I guess when I say villagers, it's more like this one guy. I, I really didn't know him, but I, you know, I knew him, but it's not like we were buds or anything. You want him to repeat that? No, I heard well, it. thanks for joining us now. What's up with the razor? Oh, well, I shave once every couple days. It's nerve-wracking. Well, it's, it's supposed to be. Well, it's not. You shave up, Coming in at the number three spot for my favorite season two Aqua Teen episode is The Shaving. Just a great episode of Aqua Teen, and just the dialogue alone is just top tier Aqua Teen. Like it's the best the show has to offer. But the the plot line is so funny. The fact that Shake's trying to make this one guy seem scary, but also Meatwad and Carl hanging out is great. And then we get this huge reveal at the end, you know, in classic Aqua Teen fashion, you know, similar to say Bust of the Undead, where you suspect that this this character is not really harmful at all. But then you eventually see that, well, in fact, the entire time he was, he just wasn't really aware of it. Again, very similar to Moth Monster Man here with Willie Nelson. He doesn't think that he really did anything wrong. To him, it's just, you know, another day. It's it's no big deal that he (laughs) killed and disemboweled all these people the same way Moth Monster Man lays his eggs in Carl. And even though there are some strong similarities there, the episode is just so great that I don't even care. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. I'm not sitting here like, oh, it's unoriginal. They copied a previous idea because they did it. You know, of course, we have Tom Sharpling here instead of H. John Benjamin bringing his own humor and flavor to the role. But just, you know, this episode is just so great. It's, it's in my opinion, you know, way better than Bus of the Undead. It's just a solid 10 out of 10 episode of Aqua Teen. Not only in the the writing, the voice acting, but in the animation department, the effects department. We, we went in on that podcast episode talking about how how great the effects were with the blood spilling from from the car, you know, Shake getting electrocuted, and then all of the the, the whole scene at the end with uh, with the disemboweled bodies. There's such a shocking moment, but also somewhat beautiful with how the effects are done in that scene from a show that normally doesn't have that great of, of visuals. And I say that in the most loving way possible. But when they do bust these things out, it's really noticeable. And 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 I really, as as the viewer, appreciate the lengths that they went to to really bring the episode to life. These effects just making a great episode even better, uh, which is something you wouldn't think is possible, but they somehow did it. But yeah, not not a dull moment in this episode, just from top to bottom great. And that's really going to be the theme 
with the rest of my episodes here. So, so moving on from that, let me tell you about my second favorite episode of season two of Aqua Teen. Let's check it out. What is it? That toilet is environmentally friendly. Do you know how much water is used up every time you flush the toilet? I give what? Three gallons. Wow, what a waste. The poor children. This one uses highly compressed air, creating a super vacuum which completely obliterates all waste upon impact. Oh, goody! So I should just sort of let the neighbors know that I'm going to be kind of, you know, exposing myself four to five times a day, depending on what I eat. Maybe we can sell some tickets. Come by and take pictures. This is where I do my business from now on. No, no, no. This is the best part, Carl. Press this button and an infrared privacy curtain is activated, rendering you virtually invisible. Oh, okay. You know, sort of like that movie uh, Predator. Only instead of hunting people, he's like crapping. My second favorite episode of this season is Total Recarl. And this was my favorite episode of the show for a while until my number one pick eventually overruled it. But this one will always hold a special spot in my heart because of that fact. And uh, it's just another one of those just like towards the end of season two, man, Matt and Dave were just on another existential plane or something. They were just operating in a whole different universe because like at a certain point throughout season two, like once they hit this, this stride, basically every single episode is just a five out of five. It's they just, I don't know, man. I don't know what was, what was in the drinking water at the time, but they were writing some of the funniest stuff. Some of, some of the tightest episodes that Aqua Teen has came out in the second half of season two. And uh, this episode kind of kicks that off in my mind. But yeah, we, we go to what makes Aqua Teen funny, which is Carl kind of getting fucked over by the Aqua Teens. And what's interesting here is it's, you know, Frylock that leads to Carl dying here. In fact, it was a direct result of Frylock because it was his own invention that killed Carl. But then not only is it, it's like, oh, they killed Carl. They keep bringing him back and then he's suffering every single time because of it. And then it ends with him, his head on this like Tonka truck, this re remote control car that he has to drive around with his, his tongue that is now an eyeball. But I mean, there's just so many great moments of this one. For example, we got us some medicalwaste.com which as we talked about in the podcast episode was a real website, which in itself is, is very entertaining and funny to dig into. But the core of what makes Aqua Teen great is the Aqua Teens and Carl. Aqua Teen, when it started out, uh, season one specifically, it was a, a lot of uh, villains of the week. They kind of had to bring them in, these, these uh, guest stars, these comedians to come in to inject some some quality into the show but in season two matt and dave got more comfortable and confident just writing with the aqua teens and carl and this is a great example of that it's, it's a classic aqua teen episode no villains needed because what we love about the show are these core characters and of course we love the villains too the villains do add a lot it's not like i'm saying that they should have never had the villains or these guest stars come on but they can still write just a fantastic 10 out of 10 episode without you know, Tom Sharpling coming in or Seth MacFarlane coming in or, or whoever. Just the, this core group of characters can be so funny. It's fun to watch Carl suffer because of the Aqua Teens. And this episode is just that, you know, cranked up to 11 because that's all this episode is. And it's where all the humor from the episode is derived from. And I just, I wouldn't change a thing. It's just, it's just again, from top to bottom, a great time. So let's jump over and you already know what it is, but uh, let me play for you my favorite episode of not only season two but all of aqua teen ever of all time forever let's give it a listen go to back one engage warp speed i'm late for work shake i'm a little worried about meatwad i think he's losing his mind watch this i think he's losing his license oh shoot the bronze 5 is there a is there an emergency or something? Well, yeah, I mean, Somebody having a baby? You know, I need to get to work and, uh... What's going on here? Hey, I'm a wild man. I can't drive 55. No wheels here, either. And you pass an inspection like that? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I saw you ran through a couple of lights. And I'm thinking, surely this little lady wouldn't do that in her own town? Where are you from? No, they were yellow when I went through them. Uh-huh. They were red. Like your ass is going to be when I get through with you. All right, step out of the car, please. Have you had anything to drink tonight, ma'am? Oh, hell yeah. Can I make you something? You knew it was coming. My favorite episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force is easily Kidney Car. And it goes back to why I liked Total Recarl, because it's just these characters hanging out. And I don't know if maybe this goes back to me being a kid, 
that obviously I knew the Aqua Teens like weren't my friends. I'm not saying that, but maybe I felt something of a companionship with the show. So I like these episodes where it's just the characters just hanging out, having a good time, and I'm just sitting there, you know, hanging out with them. Uh, I'm just along for the ride. So maybe subconsciously that plays a little bit of a role. I don't know if that's true or not, because I I love plenty of the villain episodes as well. But that's what I love about this episode is it's not even crazy like Total Recarl, where it's obviously like a cartoon where they they are having to, you know, keep bringing Carl back and he's made of eyeballs and all this silly stuff. Kindy Car is a lot more down to earth. It's more grounded. There's really nothing in the episode that's completely unbelievable outside of, you know, they are talking food products. But if you can get past that, then uh, it, it's a pretty like like simple slice of life episode that on paper isn't that funny, really. If I just said, yeah, it's an episode where the Aqua Teens try and fix up a car. It doesn't sound funny, but the execution is just 10 out of 10. I love watching these guys try and and fail to to fix up this car. I love watching Meatwad and Shake both pretend to drive a car, and they're both taking this so seriously. It's the funniest thing to me. I mean, I I, I love that clip of Meatwad like Ree! like I'll find myself doing that uh, too when I'm driving a car sometimes. <laughs> just silly silly moments like that. It's just like a good hearted episode. There's really no violence in it not to say I, I dislike that inherently or anything but like there's not even any violence or gore in the episode it, it's kind of a unique aqua teen episode in that way there's no threats there's no death nothing like that it's just the characters uh shake fucks up carl's car and then i just love the comedic timing of of the tow truck is there it picks up carl's car brings it one house over drops it off at the aqua teen's house and Meatwad is so happy about it and uh it just goes on from there I just, I love every single square inch of this episode, and I know it's probably not the most popular episode, and I understand why. There's definitely, like, more in-your-face, like, crazy episodes that that Aqua Teen is known for, but there's just something really special about this one, and I, you know, as we go through the show, I really don't see that ever changing. There, there's episodes that I think are maybe even funnier, top to bottom, there's maybe more jokes, more laughs per minute than this one but i don't know this is just this is my episode and considering you are listening so far into an aqua teen hunger force podcast i'm sure you get it so that's really all i have to say about these episodes of course as you know we've talked at length about these episodes they all have their own podcast episodes so there's not a whole lot for me to add outside of those hour plus you know up to two hours sometimes conversations so from there let's jump to my next top three list and that is my top three season two villains so these are gonna be just brand new villains introduced this season you know we had 24 episodes despite that we didn't get a ton of new villains because a lot of them are coming back so for you know i'm not gonna be including the plutonians here i'm not gonna talk about the moonanites here i'm not even gonna talk about turkatron here because i I, you know that's really a, a cybernetic ghost coming back even though there's an asterisk after that of is it really cybernetic ghost I'm really going to be going with brand new villains that were introduced in season two. So without further ado, who is my third most favorite villain this season? Okay, how do I just say like they did it, but they're sorry? Um, hang on. Have you heard that before? I don't know. I've been on the bench for a hundred years. I'm not going to look stupid. Uh, I know. We know you've been there a hundred years. We all know that. Look it up. Well, like, no, you look it up. You go get the book. I'm tired of getting the book. Books always, I always have to get it. Okay, um, we don't know. We're trees. Coming in at the third spot for season two villains, I have the trees from Revenge of the Trees. And the reason I like these villains so much is that they are played by Matt and Dave. So instantly I'm on board with their brand of humor. And I like how kind of like inept they are. There's some, there's some infighting as I've Mentioned on the podcast, I like that a lot from the villains when they kind of bicker amongst each other. And we get that with the trees here. Like, they are, they seem very serious in what they are doing, but also they're trees. Like, they don't know what's going on ultimately, and they're just kind of making shit up as they go. So they have this kind of fun duality of of being so important, and everything they're they're doing is very serious, but also... They're just kind of making it all up and they're kind of just like stupid at, at the same time. So I just really like that. I know they're not super notable villains. And honestly, there aren't a ton of, of villains this season to really go off of uh, because they do bring back season one villains a bit and kind of kind of lean on them. For example, MCP Pants comes back. Cybernetic Ghost comes back. Uh, Plutonians come back. 
I almost wanted to put like the Universal Remonster, but um, yeah, th th this season they didn't use villains as iconically for the most part, like they did in season one, and, and I like that. You know, th I, th I feel like the the way that they used villains this season was still great. But uh, yeah, I just really like the trees. I thought they were funny. I love the episode, and I love the way that they interact with the Aqua Teens and all that good stuff. So let's move on and discuss my second favorite villain of season two. So there me was, beating Boulder into powder because me couldn't eat it, and Magic Ball land in lap. Naturally, me think, all right, free egg, because me stupid and me caveman. So me spent about three days humping and bust open with thigh bones so me could eat it good. Then Magic Ball shoot oog with beam, and next thing me know, me go out and invent wheel out of dinosaur brain. Magic Dino Wheel rolls for three short distance until me eat it, but point is, me get smarter. Soon, me walk upright, me feather back, dirty matted hair into wings for style, and me stop to use bathroom, as opposed to me just doing it as me walk. Coming in at the number two spot, I have Oog, played by John Glazer. And I like John Glazer a lot, and I didn't actually really realize that he voiced this character uh, until I, I started working on the podcast, probably. But yeah, this character is very funny to me because he's a villain in the episode, but his villainry is basically copywriting or patenting or trademarking or whatever Frylock's invention before him. Like, that's really the only wrong thing he did. I guess he also kind of wrecks the Aqua Teen's house too, but I mean, Shake himself does that all the time, so is it really that bad? So I like Oog because it's just silly, first of all, the premise of this caveman coming and the way he speaks is so ridiculous. But I like that he's he, he's got some, like, pompousness to him that I think is funny. He's got some kind of uh, confidence in himself that is very funny and uh, a little reminiscent of Romulox, but not as extreme. But I like, you know, his, his play with the characters and, and that whole episode is great. But again, I'm trying to focus on the villains themselves here. I just, I don't know. I like Oog a lot. I like that he, he wants games and then he'll throw a tantrum when he doesn't get what he wants. Also, his outfit is incredible. And I think we we, we know that because Romulox copies the outfit in the last one. Just his his, uh, his underwear, his bungee cord. He's a cool guy. So so let's talk about my favorite villain from season two. Nice head, I think I'll take it. Nice head, I think I'll take it. Nice head, I think... Oh, crap. What? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? Um, what are you doing here? I live here, ass... Yeah, I know. And I'm just visiting. Um, hey, you didn't get any of my mail by mistake, did you? Willie Nelson? Hang on, let me look. Eat me. Well, if it shows up, bring it over. If you dare. God, I suck. No surprise here, The Shaving was my third favorite episode of the season, and Willie Nelson is my favorite villain from this season. I mean, I, Tom Sharpling is just a genius. I love the way that he plays this character. I love the look of the character. It's so bizarre, but his whole his whole fixation on the shaving, he thinks that's scary. And he seems like otherwise a really nice guy until you realize that he just is eating people. But, you know, at the same time, as we talked about in that podcast episode, he has to eat people to survive. Like, that's his food. So how wrong is that really? Because, like, he doesn't really know that he's doing anything wrong. Uh, it's, it's a very confusing situation, but overall, he seems to be a considerate guy. He seems to be pretty nice, but just very funny. And uh, in that clip, I love the way that he's practicing the script, and then he still fucks it up when, when, when the time comes. It's just so silly to me. I don't know. I just love uh, how cool the character seems, like, in his, in his speaking style. But he's kind of a, kind of a, a nerd in a way. I don't know. I, just, I also love the way that he kind of is... Uh, like, like, Shake is too abrasive for the character, which is funny. It's funny seeing somebody actually kind of be, like, shocked by, by Shake's behavior and the way that Shake acts and, and not really conform to what Shake wants throughout the episode. Just, uh, just a great character and just so bummed that Tom Sharpling never re replayed that character. You know, we see Willie Nelson a lot visually uh, throughout the show going forward, but we never actually get him to come back, which is... A bit of a bummer because uh, you know there's so many great characters that come back thankfully but then there are some great characters that don't get to come back and and this is one of those so yeah those are my three favorite villains from this season the trees oog and then willie nelson not that willie nelson of course but a willie nelson the aqua teens uh their tenant that they, that they don't know about so this villain talk kind of leads me to my first point because i, I want to go and just talk about the season as a whole really quickly and 
and kind of what we saw introduced this season. And the first thing is, again, Matt and Dave, I already said this, but Matt and Dave becoming more comfortable writing just with the Aqua teens, not having to introduce villains. And like I said, you know, there weren't a ton of new villains this season. I guess there were some, you know, it's not like there was nothing, but uh, there weren't as many as season one. And I, th- I think that's a good thing that they they really knew, learned how to make this show without having to introduce villains. And it's not like the episodes without the villains were not good because I think a lot of those are classic episodes. I mean, two of my top three were without any villains. It was just the Aqua Teens and Carl. So because of that, we got to see more slice of life moments as opposed to, yeah, we have to, you know, either stop this villain or interact with this other person or other character in some other way. Really quickly, though, you know, I do want to shout out some of the villains like like Travis of the Cosmos. I love I, I maybe I should have included him in my top three. Frat aliens are very funny. I do like them a lot. And Spirit Journey Formation Anniversary. I'm not really sure how to qualify. Like, is Zach Wilde considered a villain? I love that he's in the episode. It's very funny to me. But yeah, quite honestly, the fact that there were less villains in this season meant that when they introduced them, they were maybe a little bit more impactful, I think, than in season one, where they were just basically every episode introducing this other character. So yeah, it's like we got to see these more slice of life moments, see what the Aqua Teens are doing when villains are not showing up at their doorstep. But then when when we did get to see these other characters, it was typically like in a more interesting way, I I, I might say, than season one. But the other thing I want to talk about this season that we really see going forward is the emergence of body horror elements and kind of pushing standards and practices further than they did in season one, which they will continue to do as the show goes on. So, you know, from the second episode, or even possibly from the first episode, but really the second episode, Superhero, we saw Shake start to melt slowly throughout that episode. Eventually, he's just like this puddle creature. And they would keep playing with that throughout the season. We would get Supermodel, where, you know, we get these cycles of Shake just getting more and more plastic surgery. Then he ends the the episode just mutilated and, and messed up looking. We had something like like Super Spore, where uh, Travis of the Cosmos puts the thing in the back of Shake's head, and it's all infected and nasty. And uh, we just see a lot of that. We get the Ludovico technique in Super Trivia with Total Recarl. We have, you know, Carl getting put in all sorts of weird body situations. The shaving gives us those mutilated bodies, which is one of the most shocking moments of Aqua Teen up till this point, and possibly one of the most shocking moments overall of Aqua Teen. In Broodwitch, we have, you know, Shake gets that brain surgery, which is messed up. It's kind of like dark at the end of that episode. We get it in a way in the clowning, just all sorts of moments. You know, I could go on when we really didn't get a lot of that in season one. For example, think back to season one. A lot of it was Carl just getting thrown on his roof or falling off the roof or something along those lines. You know, speaking of Carl, we have Revenge of the Trees as well, where he's getting his flesh ripped off of him. There were really were not moments like that much at all, if at all, in season one. So that was a, a new feature this season also more sexual elements there weren't that many but you know we had butt frenzy which i couldn't imagine something like that in season one because a a butt frenzy was like we saw butts without even underwear on on that magazine you know we had revenge of the moon and nights where they're looking at a porn mag but it was really you know kind of pg the cover of that one it was like women that were clothed still uh but that wasn't the case with butt frenzy also in brood witch we had the moment where where Shake is he's looking up at the at the brood witch on the ceiling and we hear like a, a sexual moaning sound. But also the the season, you know, just a little bit more crass in certain ways than we got in season one. You know, in, in my conversation with Jay Wade Edwards, he talked about this, how they had to really adhere to kid vid laws, even though they were like, well, we're on at night. It's not really a kid's channel anymore at that point. So why, you know, we why should we have to adhere to this? So they kind of pushed standards and practices a little bit further, which would set the stage for them going forward into season three and season four, where things really start to pick up. And, you know, as Aqua Teen goes on, we start to get violence almost in every single episode. I mean, we got that to an extent this season where there was always some sort of violent aspect to it that we didn't see in um, in season one. You know, we talked about how I believe Kidney Car is the last PG episode of Aqua Teen. Otherwise, all the rest of the season is is TV 14 and and going forward it will all be basically 14 except for I think there's one more episode that is PG but everything else will be 14 and then even into uh, the mature territory and that kind of starts here with the show just getting a little bit edgier but 
back to the sexual elements, I forgot, of course, we have the clowning where Carl is like dry humping his girlfriend. They're making out and stuff. And, and we didn't really get anything like that in season one. But um, overall, season two, I mean, you know my thoughts on it. I think this is the perfect mix of edgy humor, but also absurd Dadaist humor. And that's why, like, that's what I love about Aqua Teen is, is they do it in season one, you know, well, I think too. But this season, a little bit edgier, which gets us some some great jokes that we couldn't get in season one. And it just really walks that fine line between being edgy, but being just relying on the edginess. This season is edgy, but also there is that random humor that I like, and it doesn't lean on the edginess as much as it will going forward. But, I mean, it's season two of Aqua Teen, man. It's our longest season, so... I think because of that, a lot of people might say it's the best because we, we have the most content here to enjoy. But really, it, yeah, it's my favorite season for a plethora of reasons. Just every episode here will make you laugh. At least it, it did for me. Even the episodes I like the least, like, you know, The or The Cubing are still good episodes. It's not like those are bad episodes. I, you know, if, if I talk about the negatives with those, it's because I have to because I have to find something to talk about and I have to find something to just not praise the entire time. And those are the episodes that have, you know, the, the biggest uh, uh, opportunities to do that. But I still love those episodes. Those are great episodes, I think. There's just not a bad episode here. Uh, you know, there's some that are better than others. But overall, like, I can put any of these on and it's going to be a good time. And before I head out here, we do need to talk about this is the last season with Dr. Weird cold opens, man. Going into season three now, we're going to have Space Kataz, and it's just sad. I, I, I need to ask those guys, like, why did you stop doing those? Did you just get sick of writing them? Did you run out of ideas? You know, what, or was it just more work than you felt was necessary? Because they had to come up with a new idea, uh, not only for the Aqua Teen episode, but also they had to come up with these little Dr. Weird skits, too. So I would understand why. At a certain point, they would want to stop doing them. For example, you know, in the podcast, I always do a little fake product uh, at the beginning of, of the whole spiel talking about the uh, Patreon. Part of me is like, ah, oh, that's kind of a lot of work to like think up this little this little uh, fake product every single time or 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 find something to pretend like is is a promotion in the episode. So I can understand uh, kind of how Matt and Dave might feel like, ah. Eh, why are we writing these little skits at the beginning? Like, we don't really need to do that. So I don't blame them. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, for me growing up with season two specifically, but seeing a lot of season one on TV, Dr. Weird is just as much a part of Aqua Teen Hunger Force as anything else. Like, like to me, they go hand in hand. So it's going to be kind of, it is strange for me when I put on an episode that doesn't start with a Dr. Weird skit, it's almost jarring a little bit because it's like, oh, where's my Dr. Weird? But yeah, I mean, they just added so much. Of course, rest in peace, uh, C. Martin Croker. But but luckily in the 2007 film, Dr. Weird did come back and, and he will come back in a later season two at a cold open at least. So we're not totally done with Dr. Weird quite yet. Of course, over on the Patreon, we talked about Dr. Weird uh, plenty because we covered the film there. But we still have a, a future episode with a Dr. Weird cold open. So... I look forward to that, but of course it is sad to say goodbye to Dr. Weird because those were always fun to to jump in with the, this short little skit and then get into the Aqua Teen episode. But we're not done with cold opens. We will get the Space Kataz going forward. So I guess, uh, you know, out with the old and with the new, even if the old was incredible because those Dr. Weird skits just added so much to the show and they added, you know, so much discussion to the community because people were always speculating. Of course, now we know more about Dr. Weird, but at the time, it was always like, who is this character? Did he create the Aqua Teens? You know, what's going on with this character? Who is Dr. Weird? And it was fun to see his influence on the episodes, and just sad to say goodbye to him, but hey, all good things must end. So, I think I'm going to leave my Season 2 thoughts there. I know that uh, the deep dives are more popular than the retrospectives, at least they were for the Season 1, but for me, it feels weird just to jump right into Season 3. I really wanted to tie up Season 2, and and just give it one final love letter in the form of this retrospective because it's it's my childhood again. I, and I'm kind of glad I don't have to keep harping on that anymore going forward because we will be getting into, I don't want to say uncharted territory because I have seen all of season three and four, but, you know, stuff that I didn't grow up with and I don't have as much sentimental value with. But yeah, that's season two. And I guess we're not really done with season two because over on the Patreon, I still am going to be going through some of the special features on the disc there is a lot of extra content on there that is worth talking about but yeah 
I mean, again, just thank you for for listening along, not just to this episode, but the entire time, uh, even back in season one, because we couldn't get to season two till we finished season one. You listening, you're the reason that I kept doing the podcast and got to really dive into these episodes that they taught me humor in a way, you know, like the way that I construct jokes in my personal life is is based off of these episodes, man. And and going through the episodes, I gave you plenty of personal little anecdotes of like, yeah, I remember this this joke specifically growing up and just meant so much to me and kind of sad to be done talking about it, but excited at the same time to to dive into some new territory. So, okay, I'll end it there because I don't want to babble on forever about this. I love season two so much. It's, it's my favorite season of any television show ever. Every episode here is just great. They will always hold a special place in my heart. Thank you for for exploring them with me, for rewatching them with me, and for just being along for the ride. And also, I guess, uh, to, to really quickly sum up 2022, because that's where we really covered all of season two, just a, a wild year for the podcast a wild year in my personal life, but but most notably getting to talk to the guys that that created this this wonderful, incredible show. When I started the podcast, I didn't really think that that would happen, and I certainly like didn't start the podcast with that intention. So for it to happen so quickly is incredible, and just a great opportunity to ask them the questions that we've been amassing over over the course of the podcast. But yeah, man, I just I, I've got to see firsthand how how down to earth, how nice these guys are. And it really made me realize how risky what I'm doing is because I could have started uh, this podcast and invested all this time and energy into something that somebody else made, right? The podcast is about something that I had nothing to do with. It's just something that affected me. And I could have found out that these guys were assholes. What if they were bad people? You know, I really considered that at a certain point. Like, what would I do? But I've seen just over and over again that they're not. They're the nicest guys. They, they, uh, I haven't seen really anything negative about any of them and like nothing at all, really. So, so it's just crazy to me. Like Matt, Dave, Jay, uh, just all these guys are, are so nice. They're so giving, they're so generous with their time. And it's such a relief, uh, not only as the podcaster who I've tied my boat to their ship because it's like, well, I guess I'm, uh, you know, whatever, whatever they do kind of affects me, but also as a fan of the show, but as, you know, like again, this show taught me. It taught me humor and it meant so much to me. And growing up, it was always there for me. And and to know that these guys who, who made the show are just solid dudes, it just makes it like, it's like, oh, finally, some good news in the world. You know what I mean? So so just, you know, thank you for listening because without you, uh, this podcast wouldn't exist. I wouldn't have got to to talk to my heroes in that way. But thank you for listening and giving me this, this creative outlet. And of course, thank you so much to the Moonmasters, the patrons over at patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden for supporting this show and really having a huge impact on on keeping it going as well and helping me uh continue to to grow this show and of course a special shout out to the number one in the hood g tier patrons sean ian captain buford brian robison and reverend raven 46 you guys can tell me about season two and 2003 any day of the week. I'll see you next week when we dive into season three of Aqua Teen. We will be discussing the episode video Ouija. Spoiler alert, it's one of my favorite Aqua Teen episodes. I'm so stoked for it. I'll see you then. Bye bye. <laughs>